0: People would follow you. You would lose certain privileges. People would kind of tap your phone. If you spoke out, of, you know, against the state, you would be sent to a labor camp, Siberia, or somewhere else, or just straight out disappear.
1: On this episode of the Introverted Iconoclast, I sat down with Roman Prokopchuk. Roman is a first-generation Ukrainian immigrant, foster parent, fellow podcaster, and a digital marketing expert. We had an eye-opening discussion about the foster care system and the angelic work he and his wife have chosen to pursue, giving children hope. Roman is the perfect example of someone that has taken his life experience and used it to fuel and achieve success. His story is nothing less than inspirational. Enjoy. Roman, how are you, brother? good uh thanks for having me on that's a pleasure. that's a pleasure as always uh my my re- my readers, my listeners know this about me. I don't tend to know much about the folks that I bring on to these interviews beforehand. In fact, I do very little prep work, which for better or worse turns out to to render some really great conversations so literally getting to know each other uh we had what forty five seconds before we hit the record button, I think prior to this um Thank you again for willing to be willing to come on as a as a guest here. As you as I mentioned in that forty five second sort of uh, pre recorded conversation, my podcast is pretty unique in that I try to juxtapose my life and experiences in a that are fairly unique with guests that I find fascinating and interesting. You certainly fit the bill. Um, generally speaking, uh, and a good way to start this is tell me a little bit about yourself certainly where you're from i know you have a unique name like i do i think that's one of the most uh, compelling things i usually have to explain my name away when i start talking they're like all right i don't get it you look like an american frat guy but you got a name like kareem ajazi tell me about roman
0: yeah so uh i'm a first generation immigrant from ukraine from Lviv, ukraine it's a uh, unesco world heritage site so it's uh, on the western side of ukraine close to the polish border I came over in 1990 with my uh, parents, grandparents, aunt, and brother. Um, we went through Vienna, Austria, Rome, Italy to a two bedroom apartment. Uh, technically, we came as, I guess, reli- religious refugees per se. Um, we mm-hmm. went to church, we believed in God, um, you know, practiced our faith. And obviously, under communism, theoretically, like the state is your God. You have to serve the state if you will and there's no uh religious so you get you know religion so you get penalized for it so people would you know disappear lose certain privileges Mm -hmm. the kgb would kind of track you stuff like that so basically we came over when you know it started getting lenient and the soviet union kind of started crumbling to a two-bedroom apartment we had a sponsor here and um it was good for me in terms of assimilating because i went right into kindergarten and uh learned the language Mm -hmm. Everybody basically worked. My grandfather was retired in Ukraine as a carpenter, then was a roofer for another 20 years. So kind of that, uh, I guess, immigrant journey. Uh, I went to school here for criminal justice, interned with the Secret Service in 2008. Then the recession hit. State, local, federal agencies froze hiring. So I was kind of uh, out of luck in a way. And uh, months and months, (laughs) I couldn't find a job. And then, you know, I was at the gym. Kind of down somebody basically said hey i can give you something maybe it'll help come out to my car after your workout which could have went several uh several ways <laughs> and uh, i said why right. not i had nothing to lose and they handed me a packet about search engine optimization they said read this uh, go online uh, do a little research you can start doing that for my business and i kind of dove into right. uh, the digital marketing space from that uh held three director roles on the agency side Founded a uh, agency in 2012 and, you know, worked with Fortune 500 clients at this point, like six, uh, 600 to 700 accounts and kind of expanded, basically, given a choice um, and said I really had nothing to lose. Uh, outside of that, I am a foster parent, so my wife and I have fostered 27 kids in four years. That journey wow. really started going through uh, six miscarriages along the way and um yeah i have a podcast as well and uh just trying to uh, give back educate and you know help people where i
1: can that's awesome man wow um that's a whole lot to absorb really quickly you've gone through quite a bit man but this is good because i don't get as many guests at least to this at, to this point where i'm able to identify with folks that understand what it is like to grow up um as someone that sort of came here. Um, now, oddly enough, i my mom is American, uh, for context. She's from Chicago originally. She passed, unfortunately, but she was from there. And my dad's Jordanian. So that's why I got the wacky Kareem Hijazi name. And I grew up in Kuwait, Roman. So I, I, for 14 years, um, didn't know much more than that part of the world. You know, I'd visit the Europe. I'd go to London for vacation and never even visit, never even came to the States until I was about 10 or 11. And then, um, I finally got here and it was quite the experience. So, you know, what's nice talking to folks like yourself is that I identify with what it was like to sort of d- dream a little bit about this, even though you did start as a kindergartner. So you are for all intents and purposes, almost more American than I am. <laughs> Cause you had more time here. It's still something that is very fascinating because you have a, a very deep, you know, kind of, you know, little cellular level connection to other parts of the world that is hard to deny. Um, as someone that is you know, literally as American as they get, but with a heritage from a place like Ukraine, especially now in times that we're in, and uh, I, I'm i empathizing with this from the fact that I, I know exactly what you're talking about. My day-to-day job usually has to do with looking for intelligence services out of Russia or China. It's pretty, pretty intensive. Um, those guys are, are very ruthless in their approach. They're notoriously capable. So how much of that do you remember from your, you know, youth in terms of at least hearing about it from your parents or relatives?
0: Yeah, I mean, like from what I saw firsthand, it was mainly like us being in mm-hmm. church
1: and then there would be, you know, random cars and
0: random people kind of keeping an eye on you. But yeah, from my parents and uh, grandparents, really... Uh, people would follow you you would lose certain privileges people would kind of tap your phone mm-hmm. if you spoke out of, you know against the state you would be sent to a labor camp siberia or somewhere else or just straight out disappear um there was a lot of right. uh, repression of the ukrainian language um because mm-hmm. pushing russian so if you were a poet or a songwriter and you wrote a patriotic song sometimes you would you know be killed and like you know hanged in a public area to obviously make a point. So there were situations like that. Uh, my uh, my grandmother's uh, brother was killed on the front and actually like fighting Germans. Ooh. But he, people got back and they're like uh, actually the uh, Soviets killed him because he was, he had faith. He was a Christian and in between like whatever they had to do when they had downtime, he was sitting there and like reading the Mm -hmm. Bible, kind of worshiping, you know, to himself and that kind of bothered him. So the Germans didn't kill him. The, the Soviets really did. So, um, and I come from Western Ukraine. It's a very, uh, patriotic and uh, nationalistic side of the country. So Russia always things that like different uprising across history really originated there. So there's, um, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say fear, but there's a, a distrust and knowing along history what Russia has done in the Russian Empire to the uh, mm-hmm. Ukrainian people. Now, currently, I have three members uh, serving in the Ukrainian military, still family all wow. over the country. They actually were in Kiev in February when they were kind of advancing on Kiev, defending Kiev, and now they're on the eastern front of the country. So I have kind of, uh, you know, that personal tie to what's going on there currently in the conflict.
1: Sure. Wow, Roman, that's intense. Well, my thoughts and prayers, man, for, for a family that's out there, I totally get it. You know, having Middle East, uh, no shortage of wars and battles and things like that, where you have family that get ripped apart and push in different directions. For me, though, I'll tell you, you know, gives me a greater sense of clarity as far as what I consider fulfillment and happiness compared to a lot of folks that have never had to deal with that whether it's direct or indirect through family so uh, frankly man you know as it relates to a more esoteric way of looking at life I think it's an advantage we might have we can actually look at our lives and be very grateful for what we're able to have
0: yeah I think it's, I'm sure it's, you have a similar sentiment. Yeah, It's definitely an advantage mm-hmm. because the, like in my mind I think about yeah. first world and third world problems and the things yeah. that people right. aren't equipped to handle or handle a little differently in the U.S. that grew up here in a very I guess, sheltered, I mean, I guess maybe soft, Mm -hmm. if you will, that didn't really go through Mm -hmm. that much hardship. They're not gritty and prepared for that. I mean, obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, unicorn, you know, fortune company founders are coming from uh, as an immigrant or, you know, their parents are immigrants coming from Eastern Europe, other parts of the world. So I think that advantage
1: is definitely like in play. No doubt about it so i want to zero in on something you said that i thought was really fascinating and uh, caught my attention you did an internship with the secret service um for the downturn <clears throat> so it sounds like you were on a different trajectory than um, marketing and you know search engine optimization uh, earlier um what what was a the inspiration for trying to go that direction and then b <clears throat> what was the intention? What were you going to, what were you going to do?
0: Yeah. I think in college I was also a a aspiring poker player. So like the psychology of how people think and tells and stuff like that. So I like the um, like profiling. So like, you know, like uh, FBI profiling, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So that, that I carried over to digital marketing, but um, I got the opportunity to do that. And I interned on the uh, counterfeit currency squad so a lot of people don't know the Secret mm. Service has dual roles a protective duty and yep. they also um, investigate uh, currency crimes for the uh, Federal Reserve so basically as an intern I would um, basically uh, categorize bills would come over from a certain uh, field office and as businesses in that area would fill out a form if they have currency that they thought was um suspect they would send it over sometimes it would be somebody that just printed a ten dollar bill other times there would be new bills like hundred dollar bills a stack of maybe 50 of them from a car dealership and (laughs) maybe the person doesn't know any better but um i would have to categorize that i went on a protective duty uh for one of uh bush's uh, daughters it was kind of the last Mm -hmm. few months of his presidency we went out to the range which was fun as uh as an intern, a lot of people don't know, there's like a hundred different factors in a currency to, to identify it as counterfeit. So you kind of start with the metal sure. fibers, you look at the watermark, you look at the uh, the strip in the middle under a black light, it has a specific color. So really kind of investigating it and be kind of like the, the first line, I guess, of defense, I would categorize it and kind of qualify it mm-hmm. in a way. If it was super simple, like, okay, this is definitely counterfeit, or this is definitely like a bad, print job on an inkjet printer versus like this could <laughs> right. be possibly like a like a good uh a counterfeit and it has to be investigated
1: a little bit more thoroughly it's fascinating really interesting a nice uh ancillary to my job and what i've done in my life with you know basically social engineering people getting information out of people very much tied to the same method same men- mental state you're talking about which is the psychology of people and how they how they function, how they think. I was just referencing "Catch Me If You Can," the movie about Frank Abagnale, yesterday on a on a conversation. Um, it was you know a good movie. Um, the real story is even more compelling, which I'm sure dovetails directly into that. You know, they literally hired him as a consultant to do exactly the same kinds of things you're talking about for fraudulent checks and whatnot, because he was so good at doing it. Um, so that's interesting. Do you think you would have stuck around with that career? Do you think you would have moved into something like the intelligence agencies from there? What was the uh, what do you think would have happened? Uh, I kind of got the flow of life
0: like firsthand, uh, talking with mm-hmm. uh, agents, going out to lunch with them, hanging out with them. Like it, it's one of those things where um, you're at the mercy of your director. So if you have mm-hmm. a bad relationship, they don't like you, they'll send you to like Anchorage, Alaska for a stint for several years or like Fargo. and <laughs> KGB style. And you'll be, yeah, yeah, you'll be like, I mean, it's very bureaucratic and you'll have two other people in there yeah. and then you're stuck. And then, you know, if you want yeah. to build a family, if you have kids, you know, it, it's a tough place to, to move across the country. And then you have to move post several times um, in terms of protective duty. You have to do kind of like the Washington detail at least once in your career. I forget the mm-hmm. duration of it. So I saw that it wasn't necessarily kind of the lifestyle that I, you know, wanted. I mean, I was still applying to state, local, federal agencies. So knowing Ukrainian and, and, you know, speaking Russian and understanding like Polish, I think it gave me advantage, I guess, in the world stage for, like you said, there's cyber crime coming from that area of the world, other different organized right. crime, money laundering, trafficking, stuff like that. Uh, so I was looking at Interpol, stuff like that, but uh, at at one point, but then like the recession hit and I, I got to really take time and really evaluate if this was something for me and then just started evaluating and applying to different things, going to networking events for other things where I can carry over those skills like that, uh, you know, fascination Mm -hmm. with psychology and things that I got from, you know, learning a little bit more about criminal justice.
1: That's really cool. It's funny. Had we uh, lived in a different timeline somehow or who knows what would have happened, your statement about the fact that the real lifestyle, the actual, you know, G-men that do the job, that life is not nearly as glamorous as what people think. It certainly is not the James Bond um, Hollywood version that people would anticipate it to be. But that's actually what drove me to go private with it. And I had a much more jet set lifestyle than the average agent in a given intelligence agency or law law enforcement group. Had So who knows, man, had we met in a different lifetime, um, I would have probably tried to uh, recruit you, court you for, for being one of the team members within the group I had because it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of interesting things that were out of the scope of what a government agency could be able to do. A lot of people have this perception that the government has the ultimate access. Quite frankly, they don't. They have to rely on a lot of contractors with business connectivity to get you know the deal done. So fascinating story. So you obviously transitioned into some really, a a very, very powerful parallel universe, which is essentially marketing. Uh, The online world certainly was somewhat emerging, I guess, at the time that you got into it. So you're an old timer now from that perspective.
0: Yeah, I guess the old G was still kind of like the Wild West. You could do some very (laughs) uh, sketchy and spammy stuff to deliver results for a website. Obviously, different social media platforms were in their infancy as well. That's when uh, Facebook yeah. started opening up to the general public. I think I got on Facebook uh, when it was only uh, you needed a college uh, email address to register. Wow. And yeah, then Twitter, really, really. Twitter came out in like 2008-ish, 2009, I believe, and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So it was literally kind of testing and, and applying. But it's it's one of those things where I think I focus on digital and then emerging did- digital using platforms understand where certain you know user segments spend their time online and really you know catering a message and reaching them and and hopefully adding value to the point where they make a decision in terms of a, a product mm-hmm. or service
1: yeah very very cool and the evolution of that's really interesting it's um changed a lot i mean i remember <clears throat> a small stint looking at affiliate networking and marketing in oh five oh six when Rules were lax if even of even there with things like AdWords where you could literally have the display URL be the vendor and you could just have a direct link to the link and just there was no landing page needs. It, the good old days when you could make an immense amount of money with typos squatting. I remember that. Now, that's effectively where I left off. So, Roman, you're, you're imminently far more um, immersed in it than I ever was. You know, that was my early little interesting, you know, a little nod to it for a minute as a sidebar. Uh, But now these days I have to think, I mean, you, you, and I'll I'll tie it to an interesting concept, which is that now literally to date this podcast, there are more people looking to start their own businesses than I think ever, you know, between the pandemic, you know, people got, we're were stuck at home. They had no other option, but to maybe start something of their own. And now with a possibly impending downturn on a macroeconomic front, people are really fascinated by trying to live their own life the way they, on their terms, what, do you do, if anything, to advise people that want to even begin? Because, you know, I I have my share of watching YouTube videos of dropshipping and affiliate marketing, and I still see these guys talking like it's still 2001. And it sounds like that may or may not be the case. What's your honest opinion of that? Think there's still opportunity there for newcomers? <clears throat> I
0: mean, I think there's still opportunity, uh, especially in, in platforms also where you're an early adopter. So you get in, let's say, So it's applicable for TikTok, to begin with, they, you know, discount that attention. So, you know, those ads, Mm -hmm. that ad spend is very low for early adopters. If you start spending money on the platform, then obviously as more advertisers and companies jump on, it starts getting more and more expensive. It's like... The same thing let's say with linkedin for b2b so like you know gen ads on linkedin were super cheap when it, it first came out like that option but now you know they're yeah. super expensive so like when you get in in the right time <laughs> and the other thing for businesses in general in 2022 there's still businesses out there without a website like that being the cornerstone Amazing. for your you know your brand your brand identity and your story online and I mean that's mm-hmm. still a shame. So like convincing still businesses to even <laughs> go and you know design and develop a website and launch it, let alone drive traffic to it, optimize it, and have it as you know this lead gen engine is kind of like two different battles.
1: No doubt about it. Yeah, I love your your podcast. It's um, digital sab- the digital Roman. Prokopchuk's digital savage experience, man. What a brilliant title for that because um, that's part of what I'm getting at is that there's such a tenacity you need to have probably at this point to keep up and compete. Um, and even get into the same leagues as other folks. Basically, I'm talking about people trying to compete with someone like yourself now, but it looks like you're guiding more than you're doing as much anymore. Is that right? Yeah, I
0: think so. And I I think it's avoiding complacency because I think complacency is the death Mm -hmm. of innovation. So it's like (laughs) often sports analogies. Michael Jordan often uh, created enemies in his head just so he wouldn't be complacent. And it's not necessarily that, but you know, if you get too comfortable, usually there's somebody willing there, willing and able to take your place. So, like, even if you sure. look at another sports analogy, because I mean, they're they're so easy to uh, to document. But yeah. if you you know win a boxing title, you know, you start taking your foot off the the, the pedal a lot of the times, and yeah. that number right. two contender is hungry to get where that number one is. So, there's constantly somebody there that is more willing than able than you if you're not innovating you're not constantly learning and redefining who you are now not to say if you get to a point that's comfortable and you kind of want to do that because to each their own everybody's different but mm-hmm. i think if if i just let go and take my foot off the pedal i'd just be so complacent and then i i truly wouldn't really be happy or fulfilled and you know what i do Mm -hmm. so i'm not necessarily learning whenever a new platform comes out i try to reverse engineer it and figure it out and how i can apply it so even when i started my podcast i really then started utilizing a podcast for businesses as a lead gen tool and a tool for sales really so so b2b is tough to sell you know high ticket you know uh, products, services and solutions but oftentimes, that kind of uh, deciding factor is that personalization. Who that business is, who the people of that business are, you know, what they have to give. Mm-hmm. So you know, having a podcast, recommending a podcast to clients, and they actually do it, and the sales team sends a link, hey, listen to it. Oftentimes, that prospect would would binge it, and that's a deciding factor. You know, I really got to know through these 10, 20 episodes who you are, who your business is. Now, that's not to say that Mm -hmm. that's the only reason in terms of lead gen, like there's other things that you could be doing with it, and just a representation of who you are, your brand, and, you know, get to know other people as well, but... I started doing different ads as well. I've I've ran ads with uh, Ted Talks and other podcast networks to benefit clients and uh, really utilizing each type of content that's consumable because I think audio is a very uh, superior delivery mechanism of information. I think it's really truly Mm -hmm. the only thing that you can really multitask with, like you're driving, you're at the gym, you know, you're on your computer, Mm -hmm. but you're still listening in. You can't really do that with video text or image because, you know, you take your attention away, your, you know, your brain kind of loses focus. So in that as well. So delivering information in that method and having a diverse amount of content and content types that serve different points, I think is key also and in, in educating and then converting
1: as well. That's well said. I do, I do agree entirely. And I think that we're, you know, this has been brought up several times. I'm surely not the first one to say it, but podcasting is kind of the last bastion of some good unfiltered ability to communicate information in a way that isn't going you know, to be limited or censored or, you know, who knows what it's, you know, I'm sure they're trying to work on ways to do that, but at the moment we're in good shape. Um, have you leaned heavy, heavier more on toward the podcasting realm in recent times, or has this always been part of your repertoire? So I started podcasting December of 2017 and
0: Oh wow! Uh, people often think uh, barrier to entry, technology, platform, so on and so forth. I started on my cell phone, so like don't let that discourage mm-hmm. you. Record in a quiet place, mm-hmm. like recording on a, a new version of iPhone in a quiet place. Like I mean, it's superior technology to where it was five years ago. So even doing that. But then I graduated to a $20 mic and then, you know, so on and so forth. And as your journey goes, Mm -hmm. you, you know, you start doing other things. Um, I saw saw a void for like real information in in the podcast space, how to market podcasts and, and give information and stuff like that. But then I saw an opportunity to have conversation with a diverse amount of people from different walks of life and really document their journeys to, you know, how they got to where they are now. Not necessarily, hey, let's document one, two, three success, but like, what did you have to go through? like what are those struggles? what are those hurdles to relate mm-hmm. to audiences um, that may be in that position that may be giving up because if you're an entrepreneur, it's a lonely journey. Uh, the suicide rate is is high uh, compared oh, yeah. to other professions. So really having somebody that relates to you uh, and can give you pointers and maybe even fast track, through some of those hurdles you may, um, you may go through. And then I, I saw it, it was a great way to brand myself and really, uh, put myself out there and showcase who I was not necessarily because I I don't do that many interviews where, um, it's only about marketing. I like talking about uh, foster Mm -hmm. care reform, advocacy, my journey through that, through miscarriage miscarriages as a husband, my immigration journey, really kind of who makes. Uh, what makes me who I am and what kind of made me who I Mm -hmm. am because I saw a void. So if you see a void in information or somebody's not giving something to a market, be that kind of decision maker and that person that gives that to, you know, that set of people.
1: Yeah. Well said, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, little backstory. And I know listenership has probably heard this a few times on several podcasts. I started this by accident. I didn't build it. I'm not doing a podcast to try to make a ton of money. You know, um, I'm the CEO and founder of a company that's in cybersecurity, so my day job is very much that day-to-day role. And this was originally started because I was trying to do something that was a channel for B2B relationships, just like you mentioned, for the company. And I we, I think we tried one episode, and it was horrible, Roman. It was like, this is a giant ad for the firm. There's no way in hell I would listen to this. Screw it. So I eventually took it over and I sort of used it as my own platform for memoirs of my life and whatnot. And it's become a very cathartic, very good tool for me personally, not to mention it becoming very fascinating as a slow-growing, slow-burn opportunity for me to share wisdom with folks, um, meet people like yourself. It's been, it's been an incredibly I – can't, I can't advise enough to do something like this even if you don't intend to do anything with it purely for the fact that it becomes a very interesting way to share information and memoir it in such, in such a way that uh, who knows what will come of it. You, do, you just don't know until you do it. So thank you for sharing that because you're right. People get limited. I did this too. Even as seasoned as I am starting companies, I did exactly the wrong. I bought the, the microphone. I bought like the mixer that's right next to me that I'm not using right now. And I got the lights and then I sat there and stared at the mic and I'm like, come on. I've got thousands of stories. How am I not able to get something out of my mouth? And I couldn't for a while. Then I did, and then it—you know—I got some momentum and some inertia. But you bring up a really good point. Starting is the key. You got to start.
0: Yeah, and if you make it past uh, yeah. episode ten, that's half of the battle too, mm-hmm. in terms of most podcasts fade out because of that. And like you said, I've I've right. seen people um, reach out to me. Hey, I bought you know, two, $3,000 worth of equipment, and I was just like, why? <laughs> you don't even know if the, you're passionate about this. Are you doing it for the right reason? Like you said, you know, you have yeah. a full-time job, you run a company, and this is, you know, a passion project where you get to know other people, experience, kind of like document your journey as you go, give back in terms of like what's, what you've been through. But people jump mm-hmm. into it and automatically also try to correlate, hey, I'm a successful business person or athlete. I'm going to be the next Joe Rogan and get that nine-figure check for mm-hmm. Spotify. Let me just start a podcast. And if you're not necessarily doing it for the <laughs> right reasons, you're not going to really last because you're not going to have that um, you know invested passion or you're taking something out of it. You're just waiting kind of to sell it or for a paycheck.
1: Yeah. So I think that's important as well well said i couldn't couldn't agree more so shifting gears a little bit you know i um one of the themes that i personally am on a journey i should say is and i've been saying this a lot and it's sort of my own personal mantra to keep reminding myself that i was as like anyone that was building a business had this very definitive vision that there was a destination to this journey i would get here and then i would be happy if i get here i will be happy this whole it's been ingrained in us from youth i mean road trips with your parents shut up and sit down until we get there and then you can do what you want to do um, Really what I've come to learn is that the journey is the destination and you just have to embrace it. Um, you know you've had one heck of an experience from the sound of it with fostering children which is extremely admirable and noble. It's a beautiful thing that you're doing. Um, I had a wonderful windfall with with success with my company not too long ago where I sold it and my wife and I, traveled the world a little bit to see where we wanted to raise our children and live. And we ended up in Maui. I was in Spain for a period of time, which I loved and immensely, um, but then finally found our way to Maui. And, and uh, I wasn't ready for it then, but now I'm shifting, Roman, from working on, on my businesses to working on myself more and really figuring out what is more valuable in terms of time spent. And how experiences are really the, the currency. It's not things anymore. It's not materialistic anymore. Now I talk to people about that. And some, some people it falls flat on because they're still in that, in the throes of, you know, wealth and they have this financial, you know, view. It sounds like you have a fairly good balance already. Uh, What's the evolution of Roman now? I mean, do you, are you in a similar state? Are you in one place or the other?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I listened to uh, some of your episodes and heard the Maui thing. My wife's uh, grandfather lives on the North shore of Oahu so uh, we went well, to nice. visit, it's like by Haleiwa, um, that like surf area. It's like so chill yeah. and you get to really like be <laughs> at peace and think about like what's important to you. Like just get a coffee, walk yeah. on the beach when the sun comes up. I think I made a a mindset shift. So like in my uh, early uh, 20s to mid to late 20s, it was all about like start a company, uh, chase titles, mm-hmm. t- chase paychecks. It's important at this point to make at least six figures. It's important this, that, or the other. And then it's like, these aren't like, these are very superficial. You know what I mean? And I think going from like 29 to 30, I, I shifted to kind of a more like heartlit entrepreneur. So in that time mm-hmm. from there to now, I've left a lot of money in the table in terms of like really Mm -hmm. taking clients on and working with people that align with my values and my ethics and, uh, you know, people that don't scam other people because I've been, I've experienced that personally and professionally. So right now I'm kind of, you know, still doing my thing, still building, but, just focusing in focusing on and there's truly i don't think there's truly a 50-50 split in terms of work life balance but really focusing on correct and and if i have to like the work the work can wait you're not going to get back that time time is kind of the commodity mm-hmm. so if something's going on with my kids obviously like you said 27 kids in 4 years and with the foster care system there's there's a lot of obligations in terms of court dates taking kids to certain places and You know, just investing time into the healing process, helping them cope, helping them uh, have a loving place for the duration of time that they're with us, either a day, week, month, year, or, you know, if we get to adopt them, obviously, for their lives while they're with with our family. So. If I was approached to be a foster parent in my 20s, if you asked me, hey, would you have fostered one child? I would say definitely not, especially not 27. (laughs) And then especially we've had five children under four at once. Uh, So it was it was awesome because you learn a lot about yourself through that process, a lot about what's important to you. And a lot of applicable things to business, you know, like running a team, running, running five, four year olds, having a schedule, (laughs) really kind of like dealing and and managing their time. So, like, there's a lot of correlations that can be taken. And like you said, appreciation of like where you come from is one thing, but also where the kids came from. So some of these kids have been through things at four years old that most adults won't experience in their whole lives. And they can come back from Mm -hmm. it and they have uh, a lot of love to give, and still, you know, healing and 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 things of that nature. And it's funny because there's a lot of transferable business acumen. Also, mm-hmm. one of my wife's friends, uh, her uh, foster daughter, her 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 mom and grandparents, I, I, some other family members, they had a, a a drug lab, and she's the one that ran it. She did PNL. She ordered the ingredients to make the stuff, this, that, or the other. And that's something where you harness it in the right way. You can run a business and you can manage a team, whereas, you know, right. some other people that haven't had that experience wouldn't necessarily be able to, to you know, fulfill that. So there's a lot of things that I've seen in that and also... Like on my show, people coming from tough situations, you know, prison, uh, you know, drug cartels mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they were all they were able to, you know, turn their life around and then apply it. And they were excellent uh people managers and, you know, business growers from that.
1: Yeah. It's funny you say that because I was talking to Steve Sims the other day, if you know him, uh interesting fellow who, you know, was originally a bricklayer in the UK. Now he lives in LA and he's, you know, hobnobbing with some serious folks and all that. And he does something similar. I think he, he's, he's doing some stuff with Tim Ferriss and with, um, uh, a few other folks to take entrepreneurs into the prisons to let them see the rehabilitation of, of some of the people that were, you know, in doing like everything you just mentioned, they have these, these skills just unfortunately in a misdirected fashion, if they were properly aligned, they become absolutely prolific people. So he does that to, to sort of help reset your expectations and, you know, help you understand what's a real first world problem versus a third world problem and everything you just mentioned. Really fascinating. Um, so your, the beauty of your job, probably similar to mine is you can probably do it from anywhere. Or do you, do you need to be stuck anywhere or can you get behind a laptop or an ipad these days
0: yeah i mean really i just need an internet connection unless it's like on-site meeting or like a presentation or a pitch but um you know i can be fully remote in like you know a jungle somewhere as long as i can pick up a a internet (laughs) signal
1: yeah same boat same boat because i asked the question because when i was asking you about the evolution of roman and family i should be clear uh because i think families are as entrepreneurial as we are they have to buy into it. Otherwise, it's a real mess. If you've got someone that's not willing to kind of go with your brand of ambition, uh, it can be very challenging. My wife and I have been on a couple conversations together. We were on the Wisdom app talking together to a group of folks at one point. And it was fun because people were really absorbed with the fact that, well, we'd, we'd done some things somewhat unorthodox. I mean, and I have to imagine you do something probably pretty similar. Our kids, for example, um, we homeschool them. And we've been doing that even pre-pandemic. Um, it was kind of interesting, pandemic rolled around and it was everyone was in a tizzy about oh my god, we're going to have to do this remote and it's like yeah, it's not that bad guys you can figure it out, you just have to be able to make sure the children are able to have some sort of social interaction even through the pandemic we had to find ways to do that. How are you managing it with the foster kids? Is is there, and this is just more of a curious question on my part do they go into normal schools and just simply come home or do you normally take care of it yourself?
0: Um, I mean they they have to because theoretically I'm licensed with the state mm. so they they That's guide that direction ideally probably mm-hmm. uh not but um yeah there's, I know. there's a lot He's of stuff say, yeah. i was going
1: to say your personal beliefs on yeah, yeah a lot
0: of stuff I can't dictate I think um I think that route is um a good route to take especially if your lifestyle is uh fully remote so I think I I went fully remote uh like 5 or 6 years ago So if you're doing Mm -hmm. that, it's obviously more advantageous because if you're fully remote and you're at home, you're not really getting the best of those experiences, that travel time. And I think one of the subjects in school when I was growing up, like history and uh, different things like that and science, so different STEM Mm -hmm. things, as you're traveling and learning along the way, you can really be immersed in it and at that place where something happened, uh, so on and so forth. So. I think that that uh, that direction is definitely valuable, and I think the uh, the public school system basically makes or breeds you to be an employee, not necessarily an mm-hmm. entrepreneur or a free thinker. They yep. try to put you in a mold, um, which I I've had a problem obviously with it growing up and in the public school, <laughs> like both. questioning <laughs> things and like this doesn't make sense yep. or like this. Why am I being indoctrinated? I mean, similar things in college too, depending what college you go to. Where it was like blatant, blatant mm-hmm. indoctrination, and you should be kind of the uh, the controller of what your child learns and how they learn it, and you mm-hmm. know the values they learn, and if you don't agree with something, you should have the opportunity
1: to you know guide that. Yeah, I totally agree. That's well said man it's it's i'm i'm only reveling at the fact that now that statement you made in one paraphrase version or another i'm hearing it over and over again now i'm sure you're probably hearing the same people even two and a half three years ago were a little less willing to be vocal about the broken system and the apparent purpose behind something like conventional schooling and what it was meant for it's militarized fashion of training which is not a not meant to breed innovation <clears throat> yeah. by any stretch.
0: Yeah, and it's not having a say in your kids' education. You know what I mean? You don't have a say right. in the curriculum. It's like I think uh the past election for the uh the governor of Virginia, that was like a big case why the incumbent won. Uh the the sitting mm-hmm. governor basically said no. Like you you have no you say, we are not going to let you do it this other the the other and all the parents got pissed and band together and voted him out. So I I think it's it's mm-hmm. an important hot topic or, you know, hot button issue that, um, I don't think the, the public school system, even if it was overhauled, it would be something catering to kind of free thinking, or, you know, you choose your own path. It would still be very structured in that sense. So.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you something for someone that obviously has a voice, you know, you're, you're outward facing, you do, you do a podcast, you do a variety of other kind of media engagements. We'll call it that broadly. How has it impacted your friendships? As it has it helped or hindered them in some ways? Have you gained more friends? Have you lost them in the, in your in the process of doing what you do? Uh, I would say gain because
0: what I'm doing isn't necessarily for selfish uh, like it's not a selfish endeavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put myself mm-hmm. out there. I try to be as open as possible. And uh, before I started really doing a lot of interviews, um, I wasn't as open. I, I mean, I was guarded with some of the information I shared. And then at at one point mm-hmm. I said, you know, screw it. My life is really an open book. Some people may not talk about it because it's not comfortable or traumatic. I was on a, mm-hmm. a show last night where the whole conversation was, you know, my father father being abusive and never there, you know, domestic violence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important and how it um how it molded who I am and how it impacted me as a, a man and now raising you know kids in my adult life so i don't think I've, i would have had that conversation uh years ago so i think like my current uh group of friends that i've had over the years that you know they're just like you know you're mm-hmm. doing that or that this that or the other really like how much are you like how are you doing all these things well i mean all you really need is a headphone mm-hmm. and you know headphones mic and a, a laptop you can be anywhere and just you know, invest that time sure. or go to a studio or do whatever, add a blurb to a, a publication. So I think I've gained like-minded people over time because I've done, you know, close to 200 at this point, 150 to 200, whatever, uh, media, uh, outlets and podcasts in the last like two years. And then I exceeded episode 300 on my show and then co-hosted a show last year. And, did different projects. So like meeting people along the way that are like-minded that have similar values, because at this point, uh, if I meet somebody, you know, they, they may be hungry or driven, but if they don't align where I'm trying to do or, you know, who I am or have mm-hmm. those core values, like, yes, I'm friendly and they're acquaintances, but I need so, like people that are like determined and have that passion to really give back mm-hmm. or, or be something more than a, Uh, Be be something more uh, or about something more than just like a paycheck and, you know, a material thing. And if it was 10 years ago, yeah, a Lambo is nice, but it's like that instant (laughs) gratification, that dopamine when it's gone, it's the next thing. And you can have all the material things you want and if you're not content you're not content so you have to find what makes yeah. you happy regardless of what that is obviously that money leads to uh, freedom and you know f- philanthropy and anything else you want to do it's easier to do with a bigger network and a bigger reach but you know at the end of the day you have to find what makes you happy
1: yeah, agreed with you. I agree with you on that entirely because I think um, I talk about fulfillment now as a word, a little bit like I feel like it's a broader, more all-encompassing terminology. What's, what's been fulfilling for you? I mean, beyond work. I mean, obviously, it sounds like you've already articulated some of those with the you know the philanthropic side of the house with the kids. Um, tell me a little bit. I mean, obviously, you've got a partner there in crime, your wife. It sounds like she's incredibly... En- endorsing and embracing of the ideas that you have, which is lovely. And I'm sure you have, have her ideas. Um, how have you navigated those waters? I'm speaking purely from my own experience. It, it's, it's its own animal to uh, – when it's more than yourself coming up with these ideas, it's tough sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely nice to um, have the support of your spouse, um, especially yeah. sometimes when you're, like, investing all these things in, in projects or creative <laughs> things because, like, I – up until a few years ago, yes, I was a digital marketer, but I was executing and doing, you know, kind of like the, the tactics and running the teams. I didn't consider myself as a creator. And now in 2022, mm-hmm. I, I consider myself a creator with what information I put out there. So she's definitely been, uh, you know, a godsend in that sense. If I didn't have her, I would not be able to be a foster parent. Obviously, it's yeah. it's... A, a team effort, especially with with kids that are coming from crazy situations that really need um, guidance and a schedule and and rules and things of that nature. But um, you know, it, it's 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 been rewarding, and and she she's definitely helped and encouraged me along the way too she's never discouraged me like hey this is stupid but um mm-hmm. she's actually joined me on a few interviews talking about our journey together we had some stuff in studio that we did like how we met how we became foster parents the foster care system what it's like in the state i am um and the dynamic is cool because i think at this point i've done interviews with like three hosts interviewing me i had a show with two other co-hosts mm-hmm. and it's one-on-one solo and i've had you know two foster parents and in, interview my wife and i and it was a cool dynamic because they know where you're coming from like all those struggles and yeah. and things of that nature so i think i've pulled her into to more of like a limelight and she doesn't mind uh you know doing interviews or giving back in in the sense of you know what we've
1: experienced together as well that's great that's wonderful. It's, um, yeah, it's a key part of this because back to our fulfillment sort of theme here, um, you need harmony and sort of symmetry for things to work out. Right. You know, if you're, if you're completely misaligned, it's, it's so challenging. Uh, that's why I think, you know, a lot of folks like I, m- my wife was pregnant when I started the last startup, not the one I'm on now. And to to your point, it's kind of like having multiple babies, you know, your business is a baby in its own right. It requires a lot of time and attention and if you have other, you know, real flesh and blood ones out there that need that help, it's it's as much of a challenge. So it puts a lot of pressure, you know, and sometimes there's no perfect timing for these kinds of things. You can't choose the timing for, you know, product market fit when it comes to companies. So you kind of have to hit the iron while it's hot And sometimes, and that can really be disruptive and irritant, and irritant to folks. They're like, why would you do this now? Are you crazy? My parents thought the same thing at one point when I was starting a company, and I'm like, market's asking for it. You said it a minute ago, you saw a void. You you zeroed in on it and you you pursued it, which was clever. Um, do you, the typical people that that tend to gravitate towards you, Roman, are they younger, newer entrepreneurs that haven't done anything before? Are they tenured individuals? Is it all, all over the board at this point?
0: Uh, I think it's all over the board. And um, I've, in the last, I would say, well, not counting the pandemic because there wasn't a lot of in person, but I've done a lot mm-hmm. of uh podcast events, so podcast movement, podcasts, stuff like that. And there I've met a lot of people. Like the the range is so crazy and so eclectic. Mm-hmm. And um I was in a I was a beta tester on a platform called Fireside. Uh, Mark Cuban is an mm-hmm. investor. And uh Fallon Fatemi is um kind of the founder of that. So I got to meet her in uh, New York city and hang out with their team and then do some stuff in Nashville, uh, some events, uh, with them, visit and, uh, meet some people. And it's crazy how, uh, some people are motivated at a certain age. So there was a lot of like 19, 20 year olds that have like, uh, exclusive shows with different platforms and they're doing this, that or the other. While like a lot of people I see are complaining or their age don't know really what to do or direction. Mm -hmm. And I think about kind of what leads you on that path. And then I, I I mean, I try to reverse engineer a lot of stuff. I don't know, in a way, I guess maybe I'm a little paranoid because I try to like create, this is what the outcomes can be. And it's not obviously in chaos. Like you said, you start a company. It's not necessarily the yeah. best factors. You just have to act. But, but uh, I, sometimes <laughs> I overanalyze, but it, it's interesting. Like you have two, two siblings and let's say the parent was, um, you know, an alcoholic and domestic abuser one turned down an entrepreneur and founded a company and the other you know is a drug addict and you know in prison Mm -hmm. so one used that to drive them and one used it as a crutch as an excuse so it's interesting having conversations and with a podcast and being in the space you have more of these conversations and really kind of get to know what like Mm -hmm. what people are about or where they're coming from so i think it's a range Uh, it's a a lot of highly Mm -hmm. motivated uh, early 20-something-year-olds that are, like, all over the place mm-hmm. sometimes in terms of, like, their interests all the way to people, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, which obviously they have that, like, whole
1: life of experiences and stories that, you know, you can take something away from. Yeah, you're right. It's funny because sometimes the older they are, the more limited they are because they're trapped in their own box of what they believe is possible the younger, you know, my daughter, my goodness, you know, she's getting these absurd amount of likes and follows on social media, which, you know, I'm obviously proctoring being a cyber guy. Right. But, you know, it's unbelievable. You know, I'm like, how did you manage to garner that? And she doesn't, you know, she's happy about it. It's vanity metrics, but she's onto something. She's, she's has a natural inclination. And, you know, it's, I'm letting it foster itself because who knows, we're moving into a world that's out of my realm of understanding. I have to allow her to have that expansion of of what's going to work in the in a modern world. On that note, what is what is what's the next for you? Are you going to move into more things like live events? I know Fireside Chat, the Fireside app's really interesting. It's video. It's um, you know, it's kind of live, live um, almost TED Talk stage like experiences. I I'm on there as well, uh, but but haven't used it nearly as much. What's your next bastion? What are you going to start taking on next, Roman? Uh, I mean, I think
0: paid, so, uh, uh, social, uh, uh, audio is still around and isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got onto, um, clubhouse when it was still like in its peak and kind of built a community mm-hmm. up there. That's where my, my other podcast came out of, kind of met a few people that mm-hmm. we were doing rooms and really answering questions, giving back without really anything in return, build the community, and then in turn, created a podcast out of that and kind of a little movement and um, a website and different informational uh, things. But uh, it kind of faded away. So it's it's one of those things, where is the adoption? Uh, Spotify's mm-hmm. a green room came out. It was locker room. It was uh, sports focus. So I was on there a little bit, really kind of testing who the audience is, what kind of shows. Obviously, Twitter Spaces. So really doing things mm-hmm. and more in the social audio space. If if platforms come out, uh, beta testing them or collaborating. Uh, like you said, Fireside is is developing. Uh, I was active uh, probably six to twelve months ago there doing. Shows Mm -hmm. here and there. Uh, It's changed a lot since then. So really investing in that, trying to do uh, in-person things, uh, networking, Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out where I kind of want to plant my flag globally um, because Mm. we, we sold our home uh last august just right now we're renting just so we can be uh more mobile so we're not obviously Mm. held held down if we have to move something (laughs) off the market
1: you landed and burnt the ships my friend (laughs) yeah it was a good time to do it
0: because we got uh eight offers above asking in the first 24 hours so because it it was like everybody was was you know flocking to 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 purchase something but um but yeah we bought a camper also so i may want to take the show on the road so in that sense Mm -hmm. i would have to homeschool or help out with that or my wife would Mm -hmm. so really kind of figuring out like you said like what's the next thing uh that kind of uh will interest me and pique my interest and um where i can Mm -hmm. do it because uh i'm kind of getting bored in my current environment in a way
1: no i get it um you got to keep it fresh um you know this um the the day-to-day job I have with the CEO and foundership of what the company I have, you know, I'm certainly happy with it. It's certainly a very fascinating career path and it is for the most part, a culmination of, you know, now 26 years of chasing, you know, malicious adversaries around the world that, you know, and it's great. It's a fast, it's a fascinating business, but to your point, I'm really into now trying to find out what the next, you know, kind of ride is right. And, and, you know, this, as I mentioned, is a labor of love, but it's turning into a lot more than I bargained for in a good way. You know, it's meeting yourself, for example, and other folks that I've had a chance to meet. Um, I had Jordan Harbinger on the show at one point who you probably know, and, um, he's a quite a prolific podcaster. And then he actually had me on his show and we had a phenomenal (coughs) episode and, you know, that inspired me. It gave me more juice to sort of say, wait, there's more to this. You know, it's not just simply yammering into a mic about a boring conversation with someone about, well, tell me a little bit about yourself and where you can't, you know, people get that where they can get it. I think that's why I try to figure out if there are people out there that are similar to where I'm in my life, similar to you possibly, which is okay. What's going to really motivate and get me going. Live events aren't something I've done at all, but I'd be keen to do it, especially coming from a lifestyle and a business where. There's an adrenaline rush with what I did uh, when I was doing the corporate spy work because there was always a risk. I was, now, of course, I was doing that when I was a single guy and I didn't have a wife and kids, so I didn't have soft targets to worry about nearly as much. Now, I still irritate adversaries, but not the way I was would have before, so it's still a risk, but it's not nearly as much, but I need something to get the blood flowing. I can't do something that—I can't—I wouldn't be able to go play golf in my retirement into oblivion ever, Roman. Uh, I need to keep it lively, so— I'm always keen to hear what people have come up with and go, you know what, we should do it together. That'd be fun. It's part of the reason for the question. Yeah.
0: Well, also my wife likes dragging me into things out of my comfort zone, which I appreciate from her too. Uh, so things like she signed yeah. us up when we were in Hawaii uh, to go uh, in like a shark cage. So that that oh, day, it was the water was so choppy that they were like coin flipping if they're going to take us out. And then they were like, whatever, screw it. So she got seasick. (laughs) She didn't even go in a cage. While I'm in with a GoPro. With, like, my legs and arms dangling, this is, like, the most rackety little thing. It's out of, like, aluminum. It's not, like, steel or anything. Mm-hmm. So I forget what kind of uh, sharks they were, but they weren't. Tiger like, sharks, probably. Uh, I, I forget. They might have been They might have been Galapagos sharks or whatever. They They're probably, like, 10 to 12 feet, and there was, like, a group of, like, 12 sharks. Nice. But then I saw barracudas, which can go through, obviously. And the cage. Yeah, so I was, like, whatever. <laughs> so a lot of the times I'll jump like that, and it, it's it's really pleasant or like my 22nd birthday i hate heights i hate flying although i fly a lot i always like before i get on the plane i see the plane crash and any turbulence i'm just like freaking out uh but (laughs) my my friends dare me they're like you're not gonna go skydiving so i went skydiving i don't know if i'll go again i have it recorded as proof i had a camera guy jump with me but (laughs) while you're there it's a very like at peace experience so like sporadic, spontaneous things like that or things, I think, which kind of give back. Like for me, foster care reform, uh, possibly uh, being involved, my wife's involved with uh, crafting a a foster parent bill of rights in the state we're in because there isn't one. So doing Mm. something like that, uh, I've talked to people about kind of like a mastermind, but not, but throwing together like more intimate events where you're like giving – actionable advice having people network together having like camaraderie creating community community in that sense because there's still a lot of people it's like like i said earlier my 20s i was focused more selfish and it was like uh i'm on the elevator by myself and all these people are Mm -hmm. viewed as uh i don't know if you want to call them enemies but i don't want to take them up but now it's like let me give back i'll share my information anything i know anything that can help people freely and there's plenty of space kind of on an elevator moving up. And if I can help somebody else, they're more likely to kind of continue that cycle of giving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Would you, in terms of life, you know, somewhere else geographically would, and certainly now, unfortunately, Ukraine isn't the best place to probably return home to, to spend any time with you and your you know, family, but any place in the world you might consider spending a stint, you know, a couple of years worth now that you're somewhat mobile? I mean I would I would definitely go to Hawaii,
0: especially on the North Shore because it's just like it's just so kinda peaceful. The weather's great. Um yeah. where else? I wanna go back to Iceland, even though the uh the client's a little mm. extreme. Uh Reykjavik mm-hmm. was pretty chill in the country itself and the people, but um I think somewhere more remote because uh right mm-hmm. now we the where we're renting is like super close, super urban. Uh and I I can't stand it, um, in terms of like interruptions and distractions. (laughs) So maybe like a ranch or something
1: like more, uh, in tune with nature in a way. We'll have to get you out there to Maui, man. Come see the the ranch we have there. And, um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, getting slightly on a more spiritual side of the conversation, that place is very centering, as you put it, sitting on the North shore, you were able to get a new perspective. It was able to Really bring you back more in touch. And I'm speaking for myself, actually, but I'm assuming similar to you. It, it it's very grounding. It's it's very humbling in a, in a lot of ways too, which is nice because you don't get that in in a city or urban environment. People don't realize that sometimes you have to go to you have to go to places like that to feel. it.
0: I think travel does that in that sense, and also wherever you go if you go to a place really kind of go to a place where the people actually like live obviously some places you can't yep. necessarily do that because they're not the safest but try to see how people are li- living go in their homes have a meal with them like it's truly uh humbling in that sense it makes you appreciate more I think every trip I take and when I get home I I you know I appreciate what I have more and you know what I've experienced
1: yeah I totally agree well it's cool to hear Hawaii um, let me know, keep me posted on that, that, uh, that possibility. Cause that'd be a lot of fun. There's a lot of folks that have found their way out there for very similar reasons that are either slightly older generations than you and I, um, you know, and I've met some of them out there and I'm like, so what brought you here? And it's like, so funny. The parallels are, are fantastic. They're, they're literally the same thing. It's like, no, I just, I finally needed to find a place to find myself and just shut out all of the. It's funny that you're in marketing, but cut out all the advertising, the marketing that's being pounded into my head. Let me kind of have a moment with myself. And it's, uh, it's very, very good. It's what helped reset me. So I couldn't agree more. Um, so as for some of the foster work you're doing, um, is that something that you'll continue to do? Likely some more kids. I know you guys are still a young couple. Obviously you could probably manage a few more young little four-year-olds running around. That's not the end of the world, but, uh, where's your, where's your head at on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, the foster son we have now, um, well, we have two children. One was reunified a few weeks ago, so we had three. But yeah. uh, we, we got him straight from the hospital at two weeks old. He was born at uh, four wow. pounds in the NICU. Um, he had drugs in his system for the first week, so they didn't know mm. if he was going to make it. And he's, you know, thank God, everything healthy. Like, he's meeting all his milestones developmentally like the happiest kid. But um, it depends. He's an adoption unit. So hopefully we adopt. So when we adopt, if I choose to go mobile and, you know, figure out, wander a little bit for a a, a time, I'm not going to be able to do it because we have to get licensed with a specific state and have a stationary, you know, location because Mm -hmm. you receive a license as a foster parent. So there's like a you know it took us 10 months to get a license and they do kind of a backstory why you're doing it who you are obviously criminal checks uh in class i believe it was like 40 hours in class and then they have to license your home so how many children you can Mm -hmm. have is it safe you know this that or the other so we would really need to have uh, a stationary point to do so um but for the time being yes it's still something that uh uh I I enjoy doing. It's a passion. I mean I, I love giving back in that sense. And really there's a lot of stuff I can't openly say in terms of frustrations until mm-hmm. I stop doing it because the of course. the uh the state is is very vindictive in cert, certain certain situations and will uh, blackball mm-hmm. you uh, i mean i've had experiences where a foster uh, a caseworker has sat in my home and said no matter what you say or do or complain or report me you're never going to get me fired so with that kind of mindset wow. you're not necessarily there to help or work as like a team with you know foster mm-hmm. families to you know help the
1: child it's, it's kind of the in like, best interest of the child yeah yeah so that's a shame. That's sad. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I hate to say it. I wish I was surprised. I'm just not. Uh, but yeah, it's, it sounds like the realities that um, yeah, I'm not familiar with that you're facing that uh, makes makes perfect sense. You have to be very very cautious. Yeah, there's a back lot to, of organisms. To funny huh? Th-
0: there's yeah. a lot of organizations yeah. and stuff, and even because when 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 children are in the conversation, I'm gonna get a little heated. So like when you're when you're fostering. Sure. Um, you know, different things that are happening. Like, you know, a child's allergic to something and he's on a visit with a a biological parent and they keep giving it to them and there's reactions and you mm-hmm. foster that you're neglectful. So when that's my mm-hmm. job to kind of fight on behalf of all the children in my home. And then, you know, sometimes they're like, you know, why are you speaking to us in that tone or you're aggressive? I'm like, I can get more aggressive. This is like not that aggressive because Like, your emotions or, like, your feelings are irrelevant. Like, I care about this two-, three-, four-year-old person that's, you know, having a a physical thing happen, and you're not doing anything about it. You're just fostering it. So, I mean, I've been kind of, like, talked to a few times that, like, you're being too aggressive or that email was a little too aggressive. Like, just, like, you know, I often – facts don't care about feelings. So, like, my wife is the best – She's so OCD, she documents everything. And now we choose to <laughs> not have a phone call. She will text a caseworker or a law, um, a law guardian or whoever involved with the case and have all the conversation documented. So they're like – because sometimes people try to cover their tracks or, or things like that, and yeah. she'll have everything documented in an email form or a text message. So
1: Now I understand what you were getting at with regard to having more uh, structure and governance and laws – built around this. Now it, now it makes sense. I totally, totally fell flat originally when you mentioned, I was like, Oh, it's fascinating. I have to ask about that. Now you, you shared exactly the reason why, and it couldn't be more, could be better of a reason, my God. Cause yeah, you're right. There's a lot of negligence that goes on. Um, I can only imagine what you see sometimes it's gotta be heart wrenching. So you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Wow. Do, um, have you had any of the kids that have come in through your household, um, continue to you know talk to you as a mentor maybe some that are now growing into their own and maybe you know looking to have you as a as a as sort of a steward or you know you're still more or less a parent for all of these <laughs> kids that come and go
0: yeah so it's funny because um so we we were licensed may 31st of 2018 we had two siblings dropped off at a doorstep june 1st the next day The those were positioned as, hey, yeah, they're moving to adoption. And that's another thing. Oftentimes, things are said that are just said just to get a child placed or moved or so on and so forth. And that was really the case. So they said, you know, the mom's never going to get him back. Well, they went back after a year. She did everything she was supposed to. But in that process, that caseworker basically made some stuff up that we accused her of abuse during her visits or something. We had a really good relationship with her. We were, uh, you know, a-, a resource to her, anything she needed. She basically, the Division uh, of Child Services destroyed that trust. My wife worked for like nine to 10 months to gain it back. And then we finally Mm. saw them, and now sometimes they spend the night, we go to dinner together, if we can help them in any way, they still call us, uh, you know, uh, Daddy Roman, Mommy Lindsay, Mm. and things like that. So we're we're all for being there after the fact, if kids are reunified, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the times... We advocate that this isn't the best option, and he still get reunified. Uh, you know, one of the boys we have now, he was with us for over a year. We said like this isn't working. There's mental il- uh, illness involved. If he goes back, uh, you know, he was there for you know four six weeks, and he got put back into the system. So he's with us mm. again. So unfortunately, like I I advocate when when the facts are there, I'm pro reunification when it makes sense and everything is done according to plan so we're we're mm-hmm. there and after the fact in every case we basically state that if the biological parent or guardian needs anything if we can help in any way you know financial or otherwise we're there um sometimes we're a little cautious because sometimes uh the parents or guardians are coming from alcoholism and drug abuse where it's they're not Mm -hmm. relapsing and any kind of help they're asking for like maybe it's monetary or whatever that it doesn't go to you know feed a a vice per se yeah but um exactly we've helped out where it was like you know the the mom you know had another baby and she needed money for formula and um she basically just needed it at the time and paying my wife back it would because she doesn't want to take handouts but there's there's situations like that but we're more than open to uh to be there. I mean, we've actually offered, uh, uh, different, uh, biological parents if they needed to like stay with us for extended period of time, it would be kind of like a Mm -hmm. dysfunctional Brady bunch, but, um, but it would be funny. I mean, we've had, (laughs) we've brought, uh, parents and and kids over for like a Sunday dinner, just sit down dinner because like, you know, we never have that. We never sit around the table when I was growing up or whatever. And unfortunately, a lot of the uh, abuse and neglect is uh, generational and it's not broken. Yeah. So the parents of the kids that are in foster care were in foster care and their parents were in foster care. So this is like a vicious cycle that unfortunately, if you don't do anything to break
1: it, it continues. it makes sense. and. You know, not to of a darker point on it, but I have a lot of buddies and friends that are in the uh, the kidnap recovery business, and you know, I know a lot about that that world as it as it relates to some of the kids that unfortunately don't even get to the system you're referring to. They are just wayward and picked off, unfortunately, for some of that. And then you have the ones that just go the wrongs. They they go down the wrong path with parents that don't know how to help steward them. We've I've had friends talk about several stories where they've retrieve some of these children from these horrible situations, but then the kids go right back to it because now they're hooked on the whatever they've been hooked on when they were with the captor and all that. So it's got to be gut-wrenching, man. I, You know, look, I mean, I commend you for what you're doing. It's amazing, but it's an emotionally... Intense thing. I mean, there's positives and negatives. They're positive, of course, when things go right. But my God, I can only imagine when you're worried about them when they're not in your in your view.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's kind of like I say that I'm like an emotional masochist because you know most situations <laughs> say, they're going back and you you know yeah. you c- feel a certain way. You get upset. You know you feel emotions for them, uh, regardless if they were in your home for you know a short amount of time, a long amount of time. Like you said, mainly what they're doing. Are they safe? Are they being looked at? Are they cared for? Yeah. Like, you know, thinking about if they stayed with you, can you have impacted them more or put them on the right, you know, path? If if they got to a point where they had a decision to make, they would make the right decision. So it's tough. And mm-hmm. even if you look at the uh, criminal justice system in the U.S., I, I believe like 60 to 70 people, uh, percent of people that in prison that were um given this survey, they, at one point or another, they're in a foster care system in their life. So clearly it it failed them in one way or another. So it's really, um, really tough because there's, there's a disconnect in terms of, uh, just being a case number and, and really focusing on a child and rehabilitating the child and, and making them into, you know, something better than, you know, the situation that they came out of.
1: Is there anything that, um, and this is maybe an ignorant question because I don't, I haven't done any research, but I'm sure you would know, Raman. Is there anything that is the next step beyond for kids that maybe are a certain age where they can go to for the mentorship, for helping, you know, kind of cope with challenging household situations that are not the foster environments. Like, you know, you said something very interesting is you're inspirational with your wife. A lot of these kids come back to you for that support when, when, and if they can, are there any, situations like that is this an opportunity for someone to start something that allows them to have that kind of uh i'm trying to think of a terminology but there's nothing there's nothing appropriate for me to say here it's not like a halfway house that's the wrong way to put it but (laughs) something that gives them that 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 sort of cover
0: yeah i mean there's like like uh, on a temporary thing like your standard kind of big brother big sister they help out kids Mm -hmm. we you know we had a, a teenager and he had a mentor basically that picked him up took the took him uh, mm-hmm. To like bowling or whatever activity, talk to him. So that's more on like a you know temporary basis. But the unfortunate thing also, the government doesn't necessarily make the uh, the children aware of the services when they're older. Because unfortunately, mm. if there's termination of parental rights and the child isn't adopted and no family uh, comes forward, they just float around the system until they age out. When they age out, the percentage of human being human trafficked. Uh, being in a gang, yeah. being abducted, uh, addicted to drugs, goes up exponentially. But there are services. What's the age out age? Uh, 18. Sorry, what's the age out age? 18.
1: 18, okay. Yeah, I but
0: in me. that, okay. they have assistance for college. A good part of their uh, college, if they decide to go to college or trade school, it's paid for. There's a lot of other services that get them on their feet at that point in terms of uh, housing, uh, different things of that nature, what they're looking for. But a lot of the time, they don't ha- they don't know they have their you know those services and like you said end up on the street and then unfortunately they have nowhere to turn and then there's obviously plenty of people that exploit that situation so
1: wow man that's incredible well you and your wife are angels man thank you for what you're doing for these kids it's uh it's it's a meaningful thing I have an interesting question I mean would you you know I understand from reading a little bit of the background you know that you guys went through quite a bit to, to conceive and that ultimately led you down the path with with fostering. I don't know if I'm probably missing some pieces, but do you believe you'd still be doing what you're doing now if you had your own biological children?
0: Uh, I think so because it's it's gone on. Uh, we, we've gone mm-hmm. through the process, like the infertility cycles and stuff, while we were fostering mm-hmm. as well. So actually, mm, okay. um, you know, my wife was in her first trimester and, you know, we lost a child uh Hmm. while we were fostering um you know during the pandemic so in that sense we had a embryo transfer and that was going on so I think that's what led us because we already experienced it but you know we're still Mm -hmm. obviously naturally trying and stuff like that so if it happens naturally or that still happens we are you -hmm. know open it's not like one of those things like yeah we have our own child let's stop being foster (laughs) parents because in that sense I think it's a little selfish but um uh, if we had our own children prior, I don't know. I think it would have been a factor to start, but I believe at some point we still would have done it based on you know who we are as um as people and what we kind of uh, stand for.
1: Yeah, yeah, beautiful man. Well, I again, I I'm thinking about it on. All fronts here—it's fascinating because you know I think about my day to day, and then I have to think about yours. It's like that's uh it's a lot to deal with, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be. On that. I'm just commending you on it. That's that's fantastic. Have you had anyone else follow suit from hearing your story that now uh, are fostering because of the? There's probably a pretty big need for it at this point, I imagine. Probably less less uh availability to the need, to the demand.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, there's there's. Uh, I believe it was. It's like five hundred thousand kids in the foster care system in the U.S., and there's mm-hmm. obviously foster homes, but the lack of good foster homes. So oftentimes That's there's it. stereotypes. They're like, you know, it's a, a for-profit endeavor. Like it's you, the child mm-hmm. gets a stipend in my state. That stipend is to be used for uh, clothing, food, activities, anything else to obviously better. Um, their lives and and have them different experiences like we've taken numerous kids to uh disney world uh everything else you can think of that's kids focused Uh, some of the kids are into legos legoland and buying Mm -hmm. lego sets that are quite expensive that i I think in a a bad economy still lego does not lose its value (laughs) but um uh, but situations like that, there's there's different misconceptions and and people doing it for the wrong reasons. So I think uh, there is a void. Um, people have I know people that are close to me that started fostering at the same time, a little bit of uh, after me. People that have um, listened to episodes that I've been on on different shows and different things that they could relate or they've connected and they've asked about it that I've educated mm-hmm. and more. Basically, when you're sitting in a classroom. Uh, things are a little bit sugar coated, even in like college. Like, hey, this is gonna be great. Sure. You're gonna have a job, so on and so forth. Um, so it's they're not trying to lose. Uh, foster parents by like scaring them out of the classroom so it's you know everything is uh sunshine and rainbows and we're there to support you and then you get two kids dropped off and it's like scared straight experience like nobody's there (laughs) you have to you have to learn it yourself like you have all these people people telling you you have like no rights and this that are you the other which isn't true trying to scare you into situations so there's a lot of that where I just trying to be open and honest what to expect because a lot of people get overwhelmed and a lot of foster parents unfortunately have to deal with a lot of crap like that and just said hey i don't Mm -hmm. need this and and good foster parents close their homes because of that sense as well so Mm -hmm. really like educating and and providing that information if people reach out to me on social media or email me just like being open and honest about like really what to expect and if it's for them and you know where they are in their lives
1: right now Mm -hmm. wow Eye-opening, man. I had no idea, you know, and I feel like a, a selfish pastor saying that because I haven't been able to do that, you know, for a variety of reasons. And I can make more up, but I think the truth of it is, you're, you're uh, honestly, you and your wife are absolutely amazing for for doing that, and great for the listeners to to know that you know you're wel- you're welcome, you know, the conversation to sort of say, hey, I'll share some candid insider information on how it all works because it, it does. It's nothing I would have ever. I can. I have the stereotypes in my head. You know, I know there are good good homes, bad homes. I know what the bad homes might have associated with it, you know, to whatever degree. But I had no idea that the system itself and some of the people working within it are as sort of sabotage-esque in their, in their process. Not surprised, though, when you tell me
0: that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it's really a numbers game and they push a reunification yeah. above everything. So up until this year, <clears throat> uh, my state was under federal government oversight based on like all the negligence and you know, abuse cases mm. and situations where kids may have died in the system or there was a case like fifteen mm-hmm. years ago in, in my state where they found like four or five like kids in like dog cages, like, you know, some of them like starved mm. like crazy stuff. So like the federal government was overseeing my state. So they brought in a, a commissioner of you know child services uh, when the the may uh, the governor was elected, and her whole thing is like we're pushing everybody to reunification and and um, and kinship. So a family member, unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of the times all the family members aren't you know fits. They're disqualified for sure. for different reasons. And because it's a numbers game, once you basically reunify a child, it's count as a reunification, as like a positive. You know, that child, this is our reunification mm-hmm. rate. But if that child returns back in the system, it's still the same case. So it doesn't count as they return. Sure. So ultimately, they're off the books. They got reunified. We did a great job. And the con- mm-hmm. the the child's case is kind of idle in that sense. It's like invisible to uh, anybody that knows um, that is looking like, obviously I know better and I, I know everything that's going on, on a state and federal level at this point and all like the little, little things that they don't want you to know about, but it's one of those things kind mm-hmm. of padding their numbers and we're the best state in the nation for reunifying children. Like that's okay. That's just a statement taken, taken out of context.
1: That's just, that's just speeding ticket quotas hit yep, for the yep, month and basically. then moving on. Unreal. Unreal. Wow. What a, what an eye opening story so that's obviously hugely consuming i have to imagine that you think a lot about this and you know you and your wife obviously um now knowing the inside track of this i mean you guys are advocating pretty strongly um yeah what, what can you know obviously people do like you said i mean we, we talked a little bit about people wanting to do it you know it'd be good to know what the real ins and outs are versus just hopping in and getting a little bit of a shock to the system is there anything else that the average person can do to help facilitate this other than try to, you know, push bills and lobby some some sort of state and you know local government regulation? I mean, I don't know if that's even fruitful at this point. Yeah, I mean,
0: that um if you're obviously interested in becoming a foster parent, theoretically it's called a mm-hmm. resource parent, the the the, the name we're a foster pc terminal. yeah we're, yeah, we're mm-hmm. foster to adopt really like that's what we're considered but um if you're interested go to your county go to your county kind of where your offices are located and sit in into a like an orientation session to learn more about it if you're interested and then that's really the first step into uh becoming a foster parent there's no like you know you're you're obligated to say yes or no it's just uh you know one night whenever they mm-hmm. have it you just sit in uh, different caseworkers talk. Some of the kids come in, older kids talk, you know, their experiences, like what your, um, you being a foster parent can do in their life, you know, how their lives were impacted, that kind of thing. But, um, other than that, I mean, there's plenty of stuff like, uh, county, statewide, wherever, um, someone is to give back or volunteer, like be a mentor or a big brother, a big sister in that sense. Mm -hmm. And just kind of that time spent, um, really gives back i mean with obviously i haven't had biological kids but the the void in my life as a kid having my mom she was present and really raised us but the lack of my my dad's uh interaction with us the other thing is Mm -hmm. i i told myself i would never be like him based on the stuff he did domestic abuse stuff like that but Uh, the other segue majority of the children we had do not have fathers or father figure in their father figures in their life so especially for uh, men listening like it it would be very advantageous like for uh you know a mentor situation or a big brother big sister because even that maybe hour two hour a week investment really goes a long way to kind of um you know show the kids that they are uh, loved and you're probably will be the only kind of you know male role model or somebody they can look up to that's that's positive in nature
1: in their uh, their life. Yeah, that's incredible. That's actually a, a nice segue to possibly something that we could all collectively get together and do. The you know the guys that are all on these platforms, in, from various walks of life, you know, to band together and create a, a bit of a uniform. I'm sure there's something similar to it, but I don't know if there's anything as direct as that. That would be an interesting thing to talk about. Might be something we you and I talk about offline would be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, everything from there's um, different things
0: like that. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed a a MIT professor where he like kind of gives back to uh, kids in the foster care system and kids in general with like Mm. technology, with STEM things, robotics, uh, whatever the kids are interested in. So like having a sole focus or having it like uh, more uh, structured in terms of like activities, the, the trips and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I mean, it's definitely
1: important. Very cool, man. Very cool. So how do you, how do you decompress man? All this whole conversation, you know, I mean, it's certainly been fascinating, but it's also making me feel like, man, you, you've got a lot going on in there and you've got a lot of like pressures, you know, and you guys are coping very well. Um, what have you, what do you do? What's your, what's your Zen times, Roman? What, what, what you do on your spare time for, for decompressing?
0: Um, for, well, I've been really working out since I was 18 the last few years with everything Mm. being so hectic. I haven't done as much right now. I'm trying to be a little bit more regimented, but really, Mm -hmm. I, I would say really, uh, lift heavy weights as as mm-hmm. and 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 have that <laughs> I and i think w- without yeah. really that much rest so a lot of the times i have to cram a workout in a half hour so low rest um when i could it was is really like playing basketball i was into basketball pickup games at the park mm-hmm. or whatever just just really trying to um stay active um before yeah. before i kind of start work now I, uh, I try to get a coffee on the way back from dropping the kids off at daycare. And we live really one street over from the Delaware River on the border of New Jersey mm-hmm. and Pennsylvania. So really just walk the length of me finishing that coffee, and not looking at my phone, just like look at the the river. Uh, I'm, I want to mm-hmm. get a kayak to kayak that thing. I told my wife, like, I want to just take a day and see how far I can get down the Delaware. If I can get to the <laughs> ocean um, and mm-hmm. she can just pick me up with the car. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as a coping mechanism, actually for like the, the loss of, you know, kids being reunified, our first, um, kids hit us kind of harder. So I bought a road bike. I, I didn't ride at all. Mm-hmm. So like the first day I rode like 50 or 60 miles, uh, just to kind of like push myself, um, and kind of yeah. forget uh, a little bit. So I try to do that or, you know, stay as active as possible but for the most part like i'm with the kids uh free time and it it clears my head because you know there's something about kids that are little a certain age because they're like consistently happy and you can make them Mm -hmm. happy very easily just hang out with them and and spend time with them so really hanging out with my kids uh if i can um working out like right now it's uh, going or trying to go as many, uh, networking and meetup things and, uh, attend conferences just to have that, uh, camaraderie and in person because during COVID, I kind of like, uh, binged and recorded like a hundred episodes, hundred interviews on my show. Wow. And it was like, I think I needed that. I needed that kind of contact. And people all over the yeah. world and their experiences, what they're going through. I, obviously, certain areas like Australia and stuff had it had it worse in terms of you know what they experienced. Sure. But yeah. having those conversations and 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 really talking and even this is therapeutic for me. You know, it's relaxing. It's the end yeah. of the day, we're having like a genuine conversation, and I think that helps me forget mm-hmm. and kind of veg out as well.
1: I hear you, brother. Same deal, man. This is end the day for me, and exactly what I want to do to kind of roll out into the weekend. So it's it's perfect. But uh, no, this has been fantastic, man. I really appreciate the time and really incredible story. I mean, seriously, it's uh, you're, I don't know anyone that's had that experience that you're talking about. I mean, certainly it's areas that I hear about. They're sort of this, uh, sadly, you know, there's areas I know that are probably pretty dark about it. So it's good to get it illuminated with conversations with people like yourself. Um, But this has been, this has been wonderful. How can, um, I I did reference your podcast, but you've got several other things. Where can people find you, Roman?
0: Yeah, I'm uh, on, I, I would say, every social channel at this point. Obviously, my last <laughs> name is a little harder. I mean, if you Google my name, I still show up as the number one Roman Prokopchuk globally. Uh, Roman is a mm-hmm. common uh, Eastern European name, um, and Prokopchuk mm-hmm. is uh, a last name. There are Prokopechuks out there that I'm not related to, so uh, Google my mm-hmm. name. Um, like you said, uh, digitalsavageexperience.com is the podcast, and Novazor Digital is the um is the company website very cool
1: very cool well i have to come see you in person man uh i'll f- make it out to the east coast i'm in houston right now but uh maybe we find a way to get s- super west coast and get to maui together with the families that'd be a lot of fun yeah we'll yeah that flight is like a piggyback happen. flight it, it,
0: once you're uh, over the pacific <laughs> it's a little bit more calmer in terms of my experience because yeah. it's from here from here to la uh, which is like five hours, then another, I guess, like six hours from L.A. to uh, yep. Honolulu. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yep. It's it's a bit of a brutal haul, but when you get there, it's all worth it at the end of the day, man. So think about it, man. Easy flights from basically L.A. or San Francisco straight to Maui. It's not too bad. Yeah, We have to make that happen. Well, thank you again, my friend. And um, this has been wonderful. And uh, let's make this perhaps a part one of the maybe part two series. We'll do an encore performance sometime in the future. Keep it going, man. This is incredible. And I'll be following you um, closely as far as your podcasts and your your experiences. And I think, uh, you know, really illuminated a lot for me as far as what you've been up to. And keep up being angels, man, you and your wife. It's pretty amazing stuff you're doing. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I
0: appreciate the platform to share my story. Well, my pleasure. We'll talk soon, my friend. Thank you. Bye bye.